Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talk with my old friend and colleague, attorney Ray Farrell, founder of June 6th Ventures. Welcome to The Indispensables. I am thrilled to have with me Ray Farrell, an old friend and colleague of mine. We practiced law together at Carter, Ledyard, and Milburn back in the early 90s. Uh, Ray started as a corporate and securities lawyer at law firms in New York, uh, including Carter, Ledger, and Milburn. He, he has a BA from Yale University, uh, which is in this town, New Haven, where we live, uh, and a law degree from Columbia School of Law. Uh, that was all back in the old days. Uh, Ray has spent many years working uh, as an in-house lawyer, senior counsel, vice president uh, at American Express in the general counsel's office. And now Ray is running June 6 Ventures, LLC, a legal and business consulting company dedicated to helping startups, primarily in the insure tech and financial tech spaces, grow and scale from emergence to liquidity events. So um, Ray and I were talking before, the, uh, before we started at liquidity events. Uh, that's what you want. That's where you make all the money. So um, uh, welcome, Ray. Thank you so much for joining me as a guest on The Indispensables. Truly my pleasure, Bruce. And it's great to reconnect with you. Uh, as you mentioned, it was uh, kind of the two of us and a, and a group of others starting out our legal careers uh, some time ago, to say the least. But uh, it's been quite a journey. And uh, it's great to, to see you where you are and doing the wonderful things that you're doing. And it's just great to kind of reconnect in this way. Well, thank you. Well, you know, some of the other lawyers were all right, too, but you were always my favorite. <laughs> Same here, my friend. Same here. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> hey, so tell us about June 6 Ventures Consulting. Uh, it sounds like you're going to be helping some entrepreneurs make a lot of money. Well, I mean, that, that's part of the idea, honestly, but the, the, the main thrust of it is really trying to leverage the experience, uh, some of the, the trials, the tribulations, and the successes that I've been able to experience over my career and, and put those experiences um, in the hands, in the minds, in the spirit, in the passions of entrepreneurs that are really looking to take uh, their companies to a, a, a a next level to really rapidly grow and to do so in a way that is smart, that's effective, that's efficient, and that, again, hopefully leverages some of the things that I did well throughout my career while avoiding some of the things that I saw that I might not have done well or, or fellow business people that I worked with or companies that I was aware of may not have done so well. And so it's really hoping to create that path, uh, a path that is uh, efficient, um, that is uh, effective, that is uh, impactful. Um, but the other piece to this, I must admit, I may not have mentioned this to you uh, as of yet as well, Bruce, it's really important for me to make sure that I'm aligning with individuals, uh, with companies, with business models that I feel have a societal good as well, and that are uh, attempting to do things and to do things in a way that are positive and that are impactful um, in, in ways that, um, you know, not just bottom line oriented. Now, don't get me wrong. It, it's uh, 
one thing I've learned is that in order to to, to really achieve some of the things that we want to achieve in society, it's extremely important that you do so in a way that you're creating some sort of economic and, and wealth base for yourself and your community. Uh, however, um, it's also important to make sure that you do so in a way that I think is is productive, not just bottom line oriented. And so that's one of the things that I also uh, find it's important in terms of making sure that I align with individuals, uh, align with with companies that are that are going about their business in the right way. Yeah, I mean, I love that. So that's the sort of doing well by doing good. Uh, but a lot of people say that. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is that uh, you've always had this kind of true north uh, sense of integrity about you, and uh, I don't think it's ever been a true North that compromises your excellence or professionalism or your commitment and ability to make money for that matter. Um, but, but tell us about that. What is the, uh, is there a particular mission focus for uh, you or is it that you're looking for businesses that have a mission focus? It's both. Bruce, it really is growth. So if I don't come to this job every day and bring integrity and, and, and bring some sort of, of, of honesty and authenticity to what I do, then I'm not doing right by myself right by the people who really brought me into this world and, and brought me up in a way that I felt was really positive and, and, and really um, kind of uh, not just goal oriented, but spiritual oriented as well. And so that's extremely important for me to bring that to what I do on a daily basis. And, it, and honestly, it really has something that, I, that I've thought about since the beginning of my career. And it's something that um, I continue to think about and, and hopefully practice daily at this you know, kind of mid to late stage of my career as well. Now, with that said, I am looking for companies that do have that mission focus as well. Companies that are looking to really have an impactful point in society by what they do and how they do it and with whom they do it with. Um, it is extremely important. For example, one of the companies that I'm working with right now, um, as part of this mission to really be a, a leading insure tech company, it's also to be an inclusive and diverse organization that really leverages the talents of a lot of folks who may not have historically um, had the opportunity to be C-suite leaders. And to the extent that they've had that opportunity, they now have the opportunity to do it with themselves and with folks that may look like them, obviously with others as well. And so that's one of the things that uh, it's really important to me um, to find those sorts of companies that are looking to be impactful. Um, bottom line, absolutely. Efficiency, um, meeting some sort of economic goal, but also meeting some sort of mission-driven societal goal. So I would say that it's, it's important for me uh, individually to bring that to the table, but it's also important for me to find organizations and companies and individuals that are looking to um, extol those virtues as well. Yeah. For the uninitiated, can you just explain what InsureTech and FindTech is? Sure. Sure. So when you, when you think about anything that has the, 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 the term tech behind it, it really is thinking about taking a traditional business, a traditional way of doing business, a traditional industry, and somewhat turning it on its head by making it, in theory, more efficient, uh, more impactful, 
by leveraging technology uh, in a way that has not been leveraged before. Some, some great examples that are out there. Um, in, in many ways, if you think about Amazon, they, they have brought a, a whole new way of doing retail. And so I would say they're retail tech, right? And they've, they've brought a whole new business model to, uh, to allow consumers to be able to shop from home and to get the things that they would normally get in person by walking through a department store, by walking through a grocery store, and being able to have that experience as they sit down in front of their computer and or on their, their mobile device and actually have a very similar experience as to the one that they would have if they were doing it in person. InsureTech and FinTech is also looking for opportunities to be able to say, okay, the way that I selected insurance historically um, is, you know, I would have an agent come to my home potentially. They would sit down with me for, you know, 45 minutes to two hours sometimes. We would go through all these wonderful opportunities to talk about my insurance, be it life, health, car, et cetera. And, um, and that's the way that I would do it. Now there's an opportunity to leverage the internet. There's an opportunity to leverage mobile devices. There's an opportunity to, to leverage big data so that I can do all that in a much more efficient and effective way. And one that doesn't necessarily require me to be in person that allows me to see all these wonderful opportunities to select the right policy for me, to select the right agent for me, to select the right company for me, all in the palm of my hand. And so it's really about turning traditional industries on their head by making them much more accessible, many times virtually, and making them being able to easier to purchase um, by leveraging uh, big data, by leveraging what we call SaaS or software as a service, um, by leveraging mobile devices. And, um, and so that, that is uh, kind of a roundabout way of giving you an idea of, of how when you put tech behind something, <laughs> it, it, it gives you this whole notion of doing business in a, in a, in a new sort of transform, transformative kind of way. Got it. So they're, they're, they're technology innovation entrepreneurs, and are they in the insurance and financial spaces primarily? That is correct. And you get them when they're at, is there a particular stage at which you're trying to get your hands on them? Oh, that's a great point. Um, yeah, it's really important for me, hopefully, to, to, to be able to provide value at the early stage. Uh, and that's really where these uh, entrepreneurs are un- trying to understand really even how to organize themselves. What What's the best way sh- that I should actually figure out how to protect um, this business, be it corporate protection in the form of limited liability, be it protection of the intellectual property that is at the heart of this particular tech business. Um, I want to be able to give them the, the understanding of how to, mo- to do that in the, in the most efficient way possible uh, and the way that it's going to meet their goals. Um, and, um, and so that's something that it's really important for me to try to catch them at that stage so that I am not playing catch up sometimes. And, and oftentimes it still happens that you do have to go back and, and kind of take care of some of those uh, basic things. But at the same time, if you can catch them a little bit before that time, you're making sure that they're doing so in a way that's really going to protect their ideas, that's going to protect their, uh, their potential livelihoods uh, in a way that's kind of the most efficient and kind of gets them to uh, A to Z, uh, you know, in, in, in the most efficient way. 
And and I take it you probably help them engage with financiers who are going to support them and invest in them rather than eating their lunch. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, to the extent I've been able to kind of over my career connect with individuals, be they private equity firms, um, be they uh, angel investor types, uh, to the extent that I can kind of leverage those relationships and and play connect the dots in some ways. And uh, it's really, that's part of what I hopefully bring to the table as well. And, uh, and it's also hopefully, you know, I'm thinking through uh, what's the kind of, what kind of people do we have here and what kind of, uh, you know, investment entity do I have there to make sure that it's the right match? And so it's really trying to identify not only kind of just, just the, the bottom line um, in terms of investors, but also making sure it's the, it's the right uh, connection from, uh, from a personality perspective, uh, from a company mission perspective as well. Let me ask you this. Um, I know that you, uh, just from knowing you, that you are a person who conducts yourself in a certain way, that you treat people with respect, that you don't make commitments you can't meet, that you uh, deliver on your promises. I know that that is a big part of how you conduct yourself. Um, Who are the people in your career who have been role models for you? Um, over the years who, you know, where did you get that from? It's a constant, uh, puzzle for me. Are people born this way or do they become this way? And and if, if they become this way, from whom are they learning these things? Yeah. Well, it, uh, it's interesting because I think it's kind of a range. It's a, it's a range from the very personal, um, from, you know, family, uh, to the, the, the less personal in terms of, uh, figures that are out there that have been doing some really positive things in society and not necessarily just in the business world either. So I, I would say it starts um, from day one for me um, with my parents who really uh, taught me first and foremost to treat people like you want to be treated. And, uh, and that is kind of the, just the goal that I always wanted to, to make sure that I was achieving that uh, if I'm going to go out and, and treat someone, and if I have some sway over them, be they be directing them what to do or just collaborating with them, I want to make sure that I'm treating them the way that I want to be treated first and foremost. And then there are those folks who um, are kind of larger than life. Um, and in some ways, my parents obviously were, were larger than life for me as well. But then there's figure, there are figures in my life that I felt like I kind of learned from, even though they were not even around when I was growing up. So for example, Martin Luther King is someone who is so extremely important to my development, uh, even though uh, he unfortunately, uh, you know, was killed, uh, you know, mere months after I was born. Uh, I felt like his life was an example to me of, of, of really having integrity and having uh, authenticity and having passion um, and doing so in a way that is really incredibly impactful. Well, that was something that was extremely important for me uh, from a uh, just a larger than life figure type of perspective. And I think it had a lot to do, again, when I go back to my family, how important it he was and the civil rights movement was to them. Um, my parents growing up in, in a segregated South and coming to the North and and um, and kind of experiencing some level of uh, 
freedom that they may not have achieved before, but also dealing with uh, the transition of our company, our, our country um, during the uh, civil rights movement in the 60s had, had to deal with a lot of issues. They, they, they grew up again in Jim Crow and dealing with the issues associated with that. Then they dealt with this whole notion of coming to these cities and, and learning how to fit in. Um, be it from an economic, uh, educational, uh, racial perspective, and dealing with those scenarios. And they latched on to those individuals and to those uh, movements that were really helping them navigate and, and deal with those issues. And they latched on to, to those individuals like um, Martin Luther King, they, those organizations like the NAACP, uh, et cetera, who were really about trying to help them transition to their full American citizenship. And so that was taught to me. They really were presences in your growing up experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I felt like it was really the foundation upon which I began to understand and navigate myself. And and I felt uh, that I was understanding how to uh, deal with some of the issues that they dealt with and understanding that I wasn't really dealing with those issues in the way that they dealt with them. I had the benefit of the work that they did and the suffering that a lot of folks did to get there. And I really gave them a lot of credit, but I also gave folks like Martin Luther King a lot of credit for helping pave those the way for me and, and helping to uh, open doors that uh, had previously been closed and understanding that I had really the obligation to take this particular journey to the next stage. How do you keep that set of values front and center for yourself? Yeah, I, I can honestly tell you that it is not always easy. It is not always easy in terms of making sure that you are, um, as you put it, you know, focusing on that North Star and, uh, and making sure that that is the, the key component of your life. But at the same time, there's just certain things that, that, that because these were kind of built into you and nourished into you from an early age, uh, really, it's very difficult for them to, to be lost, even as you go through challenges that may challenge your integrity that may challenge your, your, your focus on what's right uh, versus, what's, versus what's expedient. And, um, and you begin to realize that what's right what, and, and, and what's um, the best thing to do in your heart of hearts um, is always going to make you feel like you've done the right thing. Um, and what is most expedient may make you feel good for a point in time. However, you could never get away from the fact that you have steered away um, from, from that North Star, as you point out. And so um, that steering away is something that where you feel as if, ah, I can't, be, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that for a protracted period of time at the very least. And so you realize that in instances where that does happen in your career and you are challenged um, more than you like as it relates to those issues, you may need to take a different road. You may need to take a different path. And you may need to, uh, to the extent you can influence and change that environment um, and to the way that you think it needs to be, then you, it may be time for you to take uh, a different route. And, and here you are uh, deciding to be a, a mentor and a consultant to entrepreneurs, uh, in your own, in your own right, you're going to, you're going to help lead them in the right direction. 
Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. That, that's really the whole idea is to hopefully bring uh, not only skill sets, uh, not only bring uh, hopefully these ways of doing business, helping folks navigate kind of the legal, the business things, but also those ethical issues that you would often face as well. And hopefully setting up values that will help uh, our, our American economy um, not only just, you know, survive, but thrive um, and, and do so in a way that is uh, the most productive over time. And again, not the most expedient necessarily. Um, in your career at work, some people you gravitate away from, some people you gravitate toward. What is it that makes someone, uh, someone you want to work with and you want to want to work more with you? I, I must admit, when I was uh, even uh, the youngest part of my career, I remember even at Carter Ledger, there were certain individuals who, um, because of what they did and how they did it, um, I found attractive and I wanted to learn from them um, because uh, they had a work ethic. Um, they had uh, a certain capacity to produce that was extremely attractive to me. And I wanted to learn how to do that. <laughs> and I wanted those skills. And so um, there were individuals who, um, even at Carter Ledger, uh, I think there was an older a partner in particular who a lot of folks may not have wanted to work with. I won't mention his name, uh, but I found myself working with him and wanting to work with him, uh, even though it was somewhat challenging because he was demanding, but because I felt like I was learning a heck of a lot about how to become a better securities lawyer. And so that was something that was attracted to me. Similarly, when I moved on to another firm, actually for only a brief period of time in New Jersey, about 13 months, um, it was a great opportunity for me. Uh, there were two partners there in particular who were just extremely um, good practitioners at corporate law and securities law who really just kind of showed me how to be the most productive corporate lawyer out there. And I just, I was extremely attracted to the abilities that they had and what they were teaching me and how they were teaching me. And they were doing so in a very positive and productive and reinforcing way. And so those were individuals who I, I felt like I learned from and who I wanted to emulate in some way and hopefully be a kind of a mentor and someone who could explain to people how to you know, get their career in corporate law to the next stage as well. Yeah, well, let, 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 let me ask you about this uh, because uh, I have the rare opportunity that this was almost 30 years ago, but we worked together. And, <laughs> yes. um, and this particular securities lawyer had a reputation for being incredibly demanding and short-tempered. So what was it about him that, uh, I mean, did you want to just show you could be part of the special forces of the firm? Or? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It honestly was not that. It was really the fact that I wanted to learn how to do IPOs and private placements. And he gave me the opportunity to do that. Granted, you know, I would spend you know, good parts of my night on a regular basis doing that up until nine or 10 o'clock every night. Um, and, and I remember one time when I was actually sick with, with a cold at home and him calling me to telling me to turn something around, you know, th those were maybe not the best points of that, but at the same time, I felt like, uh, there was just, uh, there was a true, um, kind of relationship there where even though I saw, you know, the tough parts and the, the demanding parts, um, I learned a heck of a lot and you could tell that he cared that I actually learned 
and and was being productive and that I felt rewarded by the fact that we, we got things done. So is is what was gratifying about that, that he was so obviously an expert, so obviously willing to share his expertise that you could accelerate your learning, your experience the and your ability to achieve those kinds of high level results, even though it was burdensome to work with this guy? Yes, I think that's the answer. Absolutely, and I, you know, and it, it make, I'm glad you you're helping me kind of elucidate this a little bit further because one of the things that was at the core of me becoming a lawyer and a corporate lawyer was that I wanted to be a self sufficient lawyer. I wanted to make sure that um, no matter what it took, if I needed to do something on my own, I wanted to learn how to do it, and I knew it was going to take me a while to do it. Um, I began to realize, you know, around even after I left uh, Cartilage and went to the next firm that I went to, that I, I remember getting advice. One of the things the guys, one of the my mentors, told me is like, "Look, you're not going to be a really good corporate lawyer until at least five or six years because it, you have to see a number of types of transactions in order to do that." And I was like, "Okay, now I know what I have to do as well." And because it was so important for me to be able to say that um, I would be able to know how to do uh, an M&A deal uh, on my own. I would know how to, to sell a company uh, or purchase a company on my own. I would know how to file this form, um, the securities form on my own. I would know how to run an IPO or run a private placement on my own. These are the things that I wanted to make sure that I would be able to do um, based on my own experience without necessarily having the expertise of someone um, who was more senior to me at the earliest stage of my career. So I was willing to do what it took to actually uh, put that work in to get there as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I love that. Thank you for letting me drill down with you on this because I think it's a great illustration of somebody really intentionally professionalizing themselves, mastering best practices, mastering repeatable solutions, developing job aids, becoming a specialist. No, it's, it's an excellent point. And it was something that I, you know, it's funny because I felt like I had an opportunity to potentially earlier on in my career, take a different career path that would potentially even be more exciting for me. It was an entertainment um, law position that came up while I was at my second firm. And I purposely decided not to take that position, even though I love entertainment, I love music, and it was all connected with that, because I felt like I hadn't become that self-sufficient lawyer yet. And that position, even though it would have been interesting and it would be really fun, that point, I didn't feel as if I was necessarily ready for it because I wasn't that self-sufficient lawyer yet. And I wanted to get that um, I wanted to get that under my belt before I took on any sort of larger and more exciting type of roles. I, I remember you had that a passion and probably still have that passion. And my recollection is that you had friends um, who were um, music entrepreneurs or musicians, um, entertainers, and, and you were helping to produce them. Yes, yes, yes. I had the, the wonderful opportunity um, some 25 years ago to do music production and work with another lawyer who was actually at our firm, Bruce, uh, who was an accomplished jazz musician and a, an accomplished uh, producer and uh, kind of learned on his wings and, and, and learned you know, some of those skill sets as well. And frankly, it's something that I'm still very excited about and passionate about and, and, and uh, have some 
uh, interested and, and still do some things around as well. And so that's another part of my life that uh, I, if, if I didn't express that and explain that as part of who I am, again, I probably wouldn't be giving you a full 360 view of me. Um, so tell me, uh, I know that authenticity is one of your core values. And uh, tell me, what does authenticity mean to you? And I can tell you that even though I feel like it's a core value of mine right now, I'm not sure that was the case when I first started out. Uh, it's something that I, I had to learn um, that I could be in corporate America. Uh, and, um, and, and as an African-American man in corporate America, there's always going to be these kind of challenges and tensions that you face in terms of being your authentic self versus being um, your quote-unquote acceptable self. And that is something that, frankly, um, when I first started out, for example, at Carter Ledyard, even in my second or potentially even at my third job, I didn't necessarily have um, confidence. I didn't necessarily have the, the skill sets or just uh, feeling that it was uh, something that I could be completely authentic. And, um, and frankly, it's just something that it progressively throughout my career, it, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I was gaining experience and, and confidence. I had, a, I think it had a lot to do that I was, I was actually gaining some sort of, uh, of economic uh, security. <laughs> Those things helped me feel a little bit better about becoming my authentic self. And, um, and, and, and yet still, you still face those potential issues um, in, in the workplace. If, if, uh, if anyone's going to be honest with you, they're going to, I think, really tell you that, that there's always going to be that, that challenge and that tension that you're dealing with. But it's so important, I think, that it, to become authentic and to kind of evolve to get there in your career and to hopefully get there as early as possible. And one of the things that I'm hearing about, you know, I, I have had the advantage of listening to an incredible discussion yesterday by a group here. And I, and I do live in the Dallas area right now. It's called the Dallas Assembly. And they did an incredible discussion yesterday about uh, kind of being a, a, a black professional in, in, in America. And uh, one of the things that was kind of teased out of that was this whole notion that in 2020, even though we face incredible challenges as witnessed by, I call our summer of discontent in 2020, what you, what you see a little bit more of today than you would have seen 20 or 30 years ago is folks being much more authentic about who they are and what they want out of uh, their, their corporate experience. And so that's something that I'm glad to see, um, I think, just as a uh, macro thing is happening and doing better. But again, going back to me personally, micro, it's something that's extremely important for me now in my career that I have to be that authentic self. So did you feel for different parts of your career or at different, I can imagine how at Carter Ledyard, which was, you know, for people who don't know, is the second oldest law firm in America. It's at number two Wall Street, very old fashioned. Uh, at least it was back then. Uh, I remember women were not allowed to wear uh, pants uh, suits. Right. They, they had, so, I mean, right. and that was in the right. 90s, right? Yeah. So, um, so did you feel like you – you had to sort of perform some kind of expectation or? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I felt as if there's a certain kind of professional facade that you have to have. And the reality is you do have to have that. I think everyone, when they come into the corporate environment, has to have a, a, a professional aura about them, no doubt about it. Um, however, uh, I do, I felt in some ways that it was probably over overburdensome and overdone. Um, and obviously the fact that women couldn't wear pants at that point, it's pretty obvious that it was probably a little bit overdone at that point. Um, yeah, just to be clear, they had to wear skirts. Oh, right. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I didn't want to give people the wrong idea. There you go. There you go. Um, but um, with that said, yeah, I think there were some, um, there, there was some pressure you know, even if it was just inner pressure uh, that that you, you wanted to conform and uh, and be a certain way and make sure that people viewed you in a certain way um, so uh, you would fit in, quote unquote. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, of course, and, and please forgive me if, you know, I, I'm a white guy, but, you know, back in the 90s, I mean, geez, you know, I you know, we met, I thought, well, geez, this guy went to Yale and Columbia, you know, I mean, you know, you go first, I'll, I'll follow after you, you know, like, and to realize that that was a pressure you were feeling, it just uh, tells me my lack of awareness. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's always going to be that opportunity um, in, in this particular society that people don't understand um, the fact that you, uh, have to uh, deal with these sort of issues and these tensions literally on a daily basis. And, uh, and again, I feel like that we've made a lot of progress over the number of years, but obviously we still have a long way to go when you start looking at some of the issues that we still face in, in, in 2020. But yeah, uh, the reality is, is that those wonderful um, opportunities that I had to go to those schools and, and to be able to kind of leave those schools and, and, and move on to the professional realm was something that um, was extremely helpful for me. Um, and it helped, I think, um, kind of mitigate some of those issues. But at the same time, you, you just you still deal with them. There's no doubt. And I know that um, one of your focal points in your new consulting firm is um not just helping entrepreneurs who are mission driven and who conduct themselves in a way that uh, uh, treats other people with respect and dignity, um, but that uh, you have an awareness of how much diversity can um, have an effect on innovation and on um, enhancing the deliverables of an enterprise. Um, can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. And so I've had the opportunity throughout my career to, to be able to understand and see how um, diversity has actually um, increased and, and, and benefited uh, companies in terms of their outcomes. And so there's, there's a whole body of research that will um, kind of validate that point that uh, when you have diverse teams, um, be it racial, gender, um, thought, et cetera, diversity, and, and you're bringing those uh, diverse talents to bear, um, you have better corporate outcomes. That has been consistently um, uh, understood and, and, and consistently found in, in the research. So obviously, you know, that's, that's the bottom line reason that you want to do these things. But obviously, even beyond the bottom line points there, uh, the reality, it's the, it's the right thing to do, especially when you think about the history 
of this country and the history of our world is that unfortunately um, certain individuals and certain types of individuals, certain categories of individuals have been historically um, uh, discriminated against and left out of opportunities, uh, had opportunities taken away from them. And to have them be able to kind of uh, participate uh, actively and productively in the workspace is extremely important. And uh, especially because, again, they may be working from the disadvantage of having those opportunities um, taken away um, prior to them even becoming in, you know, part of the workplace. And so it, uh, it's extremely important for me uh, to be able to uh, understand that to be able to explain that to others and to make sure that I'm working with organizations that are looking to, to try to overcome those issues. Obviously, you're not going to solve everything today, tomorrow, or next year. Um, but to the extent that you're moving the, you know, the, the ball forward, that is something that is extremely important to me to help do personally and to work with organizations that are trying to do that as well. Yeah, I, I want to test uh, and uh, something I read recently on you and see see what you think about this. That so there, there as you point out, there's so much uh, evidence that when you have people of different backgrounds um, at the table, uh, you're much more likely to have a higher level of innovation, higher level of productivity, higher level of quality, and a better morale. But the, 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 the footnote that I saw there was that's only true if people of different backgrounds feel included and welcome and that diversity without inclusiveness does not drive those positive results. And, and it's, you know, I, I was kind of thinking like it's the, you know, wasted diversity, like here you have this tremendous opportunity. You have all these people of different backgrounds at the table, but if they're not made to feel welcome, truly and included, uh, then you are going to miss the impact of, of that diversity. No, no, I, I think that's absolutely correct. And, I, and it's funny because I think that gets back to the point we were making a little bit earlier about authenticity. Unless you allow these individuals to be their authentic selves uh, and your organization is welcoming of that, you're not going to get the maximum of their potential. You're not going to get those sort of inclusive outcomes that you just talked about. So it is incumbent upon companies and organizations to understand that you have to make it um, welcoming uh, for these folks and understand that they have challenges, frankly, that, that are unique, um, that are historic, uh, that are highly problematic in many instances that need to be addressed in a, just because of those things are systemic, it needs to be addressed in a systemic way as well. And so um, you're absolutely right. It's so important to not just have facial diversity, but real diversity. Once you still get when, once you get down into the organization and allowing these individuals to be impactful in their authentic selves and allowing it to impact the way that you do business, even if that requires that there is some sort of evolution in the culture of the company, some sort of evolution in the way that business is done and conducted. Um, I think that's, uh, that's an incredibly important point. Yeah. And I, I love that you link that back to authenticity because that's really, you know, if people don't feel they can be authentic, then, you know, then obviously they're not feeling welcome and included. That's it. Exactly. Um, so, uh, let me ask you this. Um, if, Somebody is saying to themselves, how do I get to be 
a guy like Ray Farrell, you know, what, what's your advice to somebody uh, who's maybe starting out or who's at a middle stage of their career and looking at somebody like you and saying, you know, how, how do I get to be like you? I think it's important to look at a couple of things. I think it's really important to find something that you're really passionate about. And um, I had to learn that as well, because I, I'll be honest with you, when I first started out as a, as a corporate lawyer and, and securities lawyer, I don't think I was really passionate about being a securities lawyer. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, me, me, me either. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was something that I, a skill set, honestly, that I felt like I needed to have to make me uh, a better lawyer in terms of being more detail oriented and to understand um, the best way to to construct agreements, et cetera. And um, so that was something that um, I may not have been the most passionate about, but it was something practical. So there's something, you, there's, a, there's a passion that you have to have, and then there's going to be certain practical things that you have to couple with that passion. But I believe that passion has to be the driving force. Now, when I evolved from being a purely corporate securities lawyer to being more of an IP transactional lawyer, that's when my passion started to come into play. That's where I felt like, okay, this is something in the law that it's extremely exciting to me. Um, something that I like to do in my time off even <laughs> uh, and, and, and want to couple in some way with the things that I like to do. And so um, I think it's extremely important um, in order to find your passion. Uh, I think you need to be able to couple that passion and some level of practicality with some way to distinguish yourself. And so having a personal brand and something that you bring to the table that distinguishes you from everyone else that has a legal degree, that everyone else that has an MBA, everyone else that has a BA or BS, what, what do you do that is different, that is impactful, that distinguishes you from others? Um, so that, that distinguishing factor is extremely important. And for me, it was because I was able to bring to the general corporate and securities experience this level of understanding of intellectual property law and transactional intellectual property law in particular, not being a, a patent lawyer by any stretch, but understanding copyright, understanding trademark, understanding complex licensing, and understanding how those could play a role in really taking companies to the next level and in, in their arrangements with other companies and individuals. And so that was something that I brought to the table that allowed me to distinguish myself um, something that I was also passionate about as well. So I think it's extremely important to kind of couple those things, even when you're coming out of law school, even when you're coming out of college, to understand that I have to develop a level of passion and practicality. I have to uh, develop a brand. Um, and then obviously, you know, at the core of all that is making sure that you understand and become extremely competent at what you do as well. And so that probably is getting to that practicality piece as well. So passion and uh, expertise, and um, that's a, a heck of a combination. Um, let me ask one more question. June 6th, I know of June 6th as uh, the D-Day. Uh, is, is, is that why you're June 6th Ventures? It's, it's funny. Uh, I get that question so much, but no, it's actually my birthday. So, and, uh, and, and I'll have to tell you that uh, the biggest client that I have right now, the one that I'm really probably most excited about, uh, I met because of that name. 
uh, I was at an event uh, that happened to be a networking event where I was able to explain a little bit about myself and my company. And I mentioned the name of my company. Subsequent to the meeting, someone came up to me and said, look, hey, I want to find out a little bit more about June 6 Ventures. Uh, it actually happens to be my birthday. That person happens to be the CEO of, of the fin- of the uh, InsurTech company that I'm representing right now. So we, we both happen to be June 6 uh, <laughs> birth dates. Uh, and I actually have had another client, uh, one of her, like her, her uh, oldest son is a June 6 birth. So it, it's become a marketing ploy for me, frankly, um, to use June 6, uh, but it, it's only because it's my birthday. Well, that's cool. And it's also the original Antifa, right? The invasion of Normandy. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, 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 Ray Farrell, June 6 Ventures. Uh, Thank you so much for being a guest on The Indispensables. Truly my pleasure, Bruce. Thank you so much. In our next episode, I will talk with my lifelong karate brother, Jeff Krause, who's also the CEO of Candela Medical, has been one of my best clients ever, and is truly one of the most effective leaders I've ever encountered. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.